Dublin. Oh, Justin Madden's got the set, one hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken, Matthews hit it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, Matthew, we're certainly celebrating the football life of an absolute legend today, and I'm glad to say I've had a bit to do with this gentleman And as all champions, he is an absolute gentleman. The VFL, AFL, Sandful, Waffle, every stage of Australian football in this nation is played by people who have worked hard to get to the highest level. Some play and move on, others have more of an impact. And then they have kids who continue that tradition. They make a lasting impression that will indelibly be recorded in the history of our game forever. And isn't that fantastic? Today's man played 416 games for Port Adelaide, which was 391 for uh, Port and 25 for North Melbourne here in the VFL between 1968 and 1985. He represented South Australia on 29 occasions, folks. Four times, yes, four times McGarry medalist, which is the Sandful League best and fairest record. Three times Sandful Premiership player, Six-time Port Adelaide Best and Fairest, Port Adelaide Team of the Century, Hall of Fame Life Member and Australian Football Hall of Fame Inaugural Inductee. He is Russell Ebert. He's on the line. And Russell Ebert, this is your footy life. Oh, thanks very much, uh, Rex. That's really pumping tyres up, isn't it? Pleasure to be here and always nice to talk to you. Can I get straight to the point as a kid... Did you, like most kids, just hope that you might day em- uh, one day, you know, emulate one of your your heroes on the on the field, or was it very early in your junior footy career that you planned this path? Because this record is amazing. Well, it is, and uh, I've said to a number of people, I think I might have mentioned it to you, that when you uh, read that record out, uh, I think it's someone else, because uh, as a young fella from the country, uh, all we wanted to do was. Uh, to play cricket in the uh, the summer and footy in the winter, and our heroes were uh, the Loxton Footy Club players, who uh, I thought were just uh, absolute uh, stars. And uh, that's about as far as our thoughts went, Rex, and until we're probably about uh, 15, 16, 17 years of age. And I bet you, like me and a lot of other people who played the game at the highest level, and I'm not in the same breath as you, but you never forget where you come from. And I think of names like Jimmy McMahon and Bones Hollingsworth, and people say, hang on a minute, they're not in the AFL Hall of Fame. I say, but they're in my Hall of Fame from the under-15s at Parkdale. And I'm sure Berry is in the Riverland, isn't it? And it's a pretty rich football area from memory. Yeah, fantastic uh, footy pedigrees up there. And... uh we had uh, probably uh, more than a handful that actually commuted down, played league football, represented the state. And I remember my father-in-law in the 1947 carnival. Uh, he, he played uh, down here for North Adelaide, but still lived in the Riverland because that's where uh, the work was. And yes. On the family farm or the family block. And uh, coming through the Loxton Football Club, they'd won six senior premierships in a row. And all the players in those teams, they were just local heroes and you could walk down the street and, poor oh, gee, you really uh, knew these people because uh, you could uh, talk to them, you could uh, touch them, they were influencing you. 
and you watched them get changed on a Saturday after you played junior Colts, and mm. oh, they were just uh, football gods to us in the in the country. Yet they were just sort of um, workers and and battlers and uh, and people that you could touch. And I think that's what kept our feet on the ground once we progressed uh, with our own sport. Russell Ebert has joined us, a legend of the game, and this is your football life. And it's great to talk to the star across the border in uh, South Australia. Uh, I played a lot of my footy at Richmond with Kevin Sheedy and, and, and Kevin Bartlett and Ian Stewart. Well, Bartlett and Stewart were just naturals either side of their body. Sheedy, when Monday or Wednesday wasn't compulsory, would work hard on his skills. Now, I can remember as a broadcaster, as a young broadcaster on 3RW, the year you spent at North Melbourne and you just had silky, silky uh, skills. You know, Cable was there and uh, Burns was out of the centre. Uh, Blight was there. Greg, it was a fantastic time. Were you always considered a gifted player or did you have to work on your weaknesses like everybody else? No, I think, Rex, uh, you get your uh, your natural ability, you get a lot from your parents and uh, then it's what you add to it because you got that for nothing. Yes. And uh, I think the players that uh, really went on, yes, they got those genes and that ability from their parents, but then they added it added their own flavour, their own um, work ethic. And uh, whether it's golf, whether it's tennis, whether it's uh, netball or soccer, footy, uh, it's what you add to it. And uh, unfortunately, too many uh, people, too many athletes just rely on that natural ability. They do it easy. Mm. They're better than everyone when they're young. But when the others catch up and add some hard work to it, well, then sometimes the gifted uh, athlete falls by the wayside because they haven't learnt that hard work ethic. And uh, we always learnt that uh, coming from the farm and uh, always having uh, odd jobs to do and chores around the place, which was compulsory on a farm. Uh, we just were, uh, sort of learnt that work ethic yeah. right from a youngster, whether it was on the sporting field or whether it was chopping wood, uh, milking cows, cutting loose and riding bikes, bird nesting, anything. Yeah. We just had a, a work ethic that was built into us by our parents. I spoke at a school reunion last week, a luncheon, where we all had to stand up and say our fond memories of school and disappointments. And my disappointment was the amount of young men who were magnificent cricketers and footballers at 14 and 15 and had never, ever gone on with it. I suppose you've just said it all. It's about work ethic and all league football, district cricket or test cricket, for that matter, is, is your skills are all the same. But when the highest pressure comes on, only the fit will survive. Well, I saw it firsthand, Rex, and I had the absolute honour of being asked to coach the Teal Cup wow. back when it was un under 17s. And I saw so many lads uh, from Tasmania, so many from the Northern Territory, so many from Vic Metro, Vic Country, Western Australia and the other states. And I saw these lads at 17 and they were really, really good footballers. Yeah. And I, I kept a book of all the teams and every now and again I go back over it and I, see, I think, where are they now? Yeah. And I see the Everett and I see the Mercury and I see the other players come through. But they were all Australian stars at yes. 17. Yes. And then they added that extra work ethic on top of it. Yes. So many others, that was the pinnacle of their career yeah. because their natural ability or their physical size had got them a game at that level uh, because they were bigger or stronger yeah. than, the, than the others. And the real player added that natural ability with some hard work and yeah. other ones that had long careers in whatever sport they chose. And the people who didn't make it and make excuses saying you're lucky, they just didn't work hard enough or get up early enough. It's as simple as that. Russell Ebert is our special guest here today. 
We'll move along. And the first approach when you found yourself on the way to Port Adelaide, who were the Collingwood and are the Collingwood of the VFL, the most famous club with history and tradition in the Sandville. How did you end up at this wonderful, wonderful club? Well, it's a bit of a long story and we haven't got time now, but uh, South Australia wasn't zoned. So uh, uh, clubs had people all over the state that either supported them or were little bits of scouts or they had businesses through the Riverland area and they would come up each week and then they'd go back and report to Big Bob McLean, who you would be uh, aware of, yes. and Foss Williams. And they were the, he was the general manager and Foss was the coach. And they would report back that a couple of young fellas in the Riverland or a couple of young fellas in the southeast had shown a bit of promise. And Port Adelaide just kept in touch. So he had a chap who had a business in Mildura, which he goes through the Riverland to get to. And uh, he just kept in touch Monday morning. And he'd say, oh, it didn't go that well to, on the weekend, Russell. I'd say, no, nah, no, <laughs> yeah. had a bit of a shocker. Or they said, you did okay. We're interested. We'd like to invite you down. And another young fellow from the uh, Riverland, Bruce Light, was a cobra of mine. And he was commuting. His father had a fruit block in the Wakery area. And he was commuting down Tuesday to train. And then we'd train with the local side Thursday and then uh, play on Saturday. So I got matey with him and he said, oh, why don't you give it a go? Yeah. So North Adelaide came up too and, uh, and Port Adelaide. So in the end, I, I just decided that Port were the more persistent and uh, they sort of uh, seemed really, really keen. So I, and it was comfortable to come down with Bruce. We shared cars. And that's really how it uh, how it eventuated. And the North Adelaide North Adelaide chap didn't come back because yeah, uh, yeah because uh, other players were playing for North, and so fortunate to have a little bit of a choice. But you still had to sort of do the training and yeah. try and make a pretty experienced side in Port Adelaide. Well, you rewrote the record books uh, in South Australia, Russell Ebert. Uh, you won the first of your four McGarrys uh, in 1971 at the age of 22. The first of your six club best and fairest. But it must have been amazingly satisfying for you in 77 when amazingly, and I can't, can't believe what Mitch Cleary's just uh, giving me, amazingly Port hadn't won a flag for 12 years, which is just unheard of. It's like me growing hair. Uh, <laughs> just tell us your memories of not only doing particularly well individually, but being thought well enough to lead your men in the charge to the first drought-breaking flag in 12 years. Yeah, well, the, the club... Uh... My first year was 1968. As, as you said before, we made the grand final. Sturt were far more skillful and uh, more experienced uh, at that stage. So we lost the 68 grand final. Then we uh, went, uh, got in the 71 grand final and North Adelaide with Mike Patterson, the Swamp Fox from yeah. Victoria. Yep. He coached uh, North Adelaide to the 71 and 72 premierships and we were the losers. And then in 76, Jack Odie had... Um, a brilliant team. Uh, they'd done it the hard way, come from the elimination final. We'd won everything during the year mm. and Sturt beat us in 76. So I had a real good look, uh, particularly at myself, and said, hey, uh, you, you've now played uh, in um, in four grand finals and you've lost them. Mm. Uh, th this is just not Port Adelaide because we'd won uh, many premises before. So in 1977, we were all on a mission to uh, really rectify what was uh, uh, unacceptable position for Port Adelaide, and that was not winning grand finals. So 77 was just a magnificent uh, year. Everyone uh, uh, had the same dream, the same uh, 
endeavour and to uh, be um, uh, honoured with being able to lift that Premiership trophy in 77 was way and above uh, the highlight that I remember most. This is Russell E. Burton. Before we take a break, just the last one on that before you cross the border to play uh, with North Melbourne at Arden Street. Uh, I subscribe to the fact that you learn more from losses and setbacks and it's how you come back from those losses and setbacks and wave into the crowd every five minutes. Uh, how do you see that? Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. They say you've got to lose uh, something before you really treasure it. And uh, and uh, in 77, uh, we, we really had the pressure on us because you're not only playing for yourself, but your family, you're playing for the coach, you're playing for all the supporters, the members, the sponsors, and everyone rides on the result of the football game. So we were just letting everyone down, and that was unacceptable at Port Adelaide. So when we did uh, win the flag, when that final siren rang, it was relief, it was excitement, but the pleasure of it was to see the faces of uh, of the uh, past players, the supporters, <laughs> the members, yeah. and they just absolutely thrived on uh, on the win. And, of course, uh, to be able to uh, give that to them was the greatest gift you could give someone in football terms. And those memories will last a lifetime. It's fantastic to catch up with a legend of the game, Russell Ebert. And you can check us out on Twitter at Rex Footy Life, whatever that means. The only tweets around here is me canary. And this is your footy life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Don't get worried. Uh, uh, <laughs> i tell you what, uh, Russell might have hung up there, but we can get you a discount there for your prepaid job. But Russell Ebert will be back with me, Rex Hunt, out of the break on This Is Your Footy Life. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Very nice throwback to you, young man. You'll uh, go a long way in the radio stakes, of which I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, uh, uh, nearly 50 years either playing or broadcasting, and uh, just I've never enjoyed anything so much as this is your footy life. The stars that keep on coming, and this man will take his rightful place when the history of our great game is finally written in its entirety. Russell Ebert is his name. 416 games at the highest level. OK, a star. A superstar at Port Adelaide. But North Melbourne had been after you for a while. Uh, I think you just better tell us because eventually you said, nope, it's time to go, and you crossed to, uh, to Arden Street. Yeah, well, it probably started back uh, in 1973. I remember Alan Swab from Richmond. Yes. And Ronnie, Ronnie Joseph from North Melbourne uh, came across and said, come on, uh, you've uh, played a few games here now. You've, uh, you've won a couple of things. Uh, you've played state footy. It's time to test yourself uh, against the best. But then uh, a few things happened here at, at Port Adelaide and I was given the captaincy. And mm. so Port were pretty successful. They were playing in grand finals. We were playing state footy against the Vicks and, and Tasmania and Western Australia. Played a couple of carnivals, which were just a sensational experience. So we sort of had it all. But in 1979, Ronnie Joseph came over and he said, uh, Russell, this is the last time. I'm going to come over to Adelaide and try and get you over there. Uh, after this year, you'll be too bloody old anyway, and we won't be interested. We want you now. We've put uh, together a team with Glendinning and Bryant and Greg and Schimmelbush oh, yeah. and, and uh, Blight and Dench and, and Croswell. And, oh, just went on and on and on. We want you to be a, a part of it. So uh, I, uh, he said, you make a list of all the things uh, and all the reasons why you can't come. So... Yeah. 
I had a list and he just crossed them off as Ronnie Joseph does, <laughs> walking up and down the room, yeah. never sitting down. And in the end, he crossed off all those reasons. Yes. And he said, right, I've crossed them all off. We'll cover all that. Uh, we want you across here. So I said, well, if I don't do it this year, I won't uh, do it. And so I really want to try and play against the best with the best and uh, and test it out. So that yeah. was 79. And to go over there with uh, with Ron Barassi and... Max Ritchie and um, uh, and Johnny Dugdale and uh, Laurie Dwyer and Gee. Albert Mantello and uh, North and all Melbourne the royalty, yeah. Oh, Alan Aylett and yes. all the uh, the fellas were there, and they gave me the opportunity uh, each week to uh, to play against the best, and it was one of the greatest experiences that uh, I've ever had. And uh, realised that um, okay, things were good here. But to try yourself against the best is a challenge that every player should have. Yeah, it's interesting, Russell Ebert, you say that because uh, I've got another thought, you know what I mean? And uh, Victoria stacked its uh, interstate sides with Western Australian, South Australian people and then wiped the floor with South Australia and West Australia. But probably the two toughest games outside uh, of the season that I played was a pre-season game for Richmond against Glenelg at the Bay when Curley was coaching them. Yep. And a pre-season game uh, against North Adelaide when, uh, you know, my premiership uh, uh, partner, Mike Patterson, was coaching North. Uh, so, yeah. so, so how did, was it a subtle difference in pace or pressure? or Because you fitted in pretty well, I've got to say, because I was a young cadet with 3AW sitting in the grandstand watching you. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And uh, it was probably the first time in five, six, seven years that you sit on the edge of the uh, uh, seat waiting for Barras to read out the team. And oh. I, hadn't, I hadn't that had that nervousness or or that uh, for a fair while. And to be able to experience that was uh, was terrific. Uh, to be able to uh, adapt to the, the pace of the game and, and to have the best players around you, they made you a better player. And uh, and you had to really work on uh, on a bit of speed and, uh, and reflexes and... That I think was the difference over there because the uh, the players got to you a little bit quicker. They were a little bit more physically um, mature, and uh, so it was just a fantastic experience to be able to go over there and and have uh, Keith Gregg on one side and uh, Wayne Schimmelbush on the other side oh. and look down the field and you're you're getting the ball from Glendinning or you or you're getting it from Dempsey and mm. and you're kicking it down to to Croswell or. Uh, Snake Baker or uh, Long Bombs to, uh, to Snake. To, to yeah, <laughs> Long Bombs to Snake. Uh, <laughs> 77 grand final. Magnificent. Up on the wall for everyone to see. Uh, yep. Russell Ebert is a star. He's joined us. Look, I can't leave uh, you coming across the border without mentioning you were a fly-in player. And yeah, uh, even back yeah. then when there was no, uh, you know, when, when the Sandfall was there and VFL was here, you know, se- six games in Melbourne every week, seven, uh, six games in uh, Adelaide every week. Did you find that difficult or you just got used to it after a while flying in on a Thursday? Well, it was it was a matter of, uh, of that's what I could uh, uh, sort of try and arrange, Rex, because uh, I was running uh, sports businesses back here in Adelaide, had a young family. So what I did in the end, I, uh, after about three or four weeks of the season starting, I used to fly over Tuesday afternoon train and then get a cab out to the airport for the last flight back to Adelaide, mm. run the businesses on Wednesday and Thursday morning, lunchtime, rush home, <laughs> Diane would have the kids ready, uh. I'd uh, rush over uh, in the plane, uh, rush to Arden Street, train, 
work in the sports industry, often in Melbourne on a Friday, play Saturday and fly home Saturday night. So oh, yeah. uh, try and do that, oh. and I wonder why I lost a bit of weight. I emceed the Tommy Hafey function last week at Richmond, and Maureen Hafey was our very, very special guest, and I got up yeah. and said, you can just never, ever overstate the way that the girls actually played a part in, in yeah. us fellas doing our stuff, whether it was, you know, the coach's wife uh, helping a drop player's wife or, you know, or, right. or, or, or the kids were screaming or that sort of thing. And well, you mentioned a meal you, for 30, 30 players because you've invited them around exactly. because you want to have a team meeting. They, they play a fantastic role, and I just wanted to Couldn't say that. I, I want to talk about John Cale, uh, fantastic left-footed player, but... Ten times premiership coach with Port Adelaide just puts him into elite company. Came across to the carrying bush at Collingwood. I didn't think he had the cattle, but uh, gee, it must have been great for you to have an association with Johnny Cale. Yeah, it was one of the reasons that uh, I didn't come across to uh, to Victoria <laughs> earlier because uh, John took over the coaching in uh, in '74 hmm. after Foss had finished, and uh, I could see that the side was young and uh, and exciting and and had a really good future. And John really uh, took uh, took that on board the the, um, uh, the skill, the run, uh, and the players that he had, and uh, he moulded them into uh, a side that was never below third, which is a staggering, staggering record. Oh, and you've just read me. out the number of, yeah. uh, of premierships that he won. Ten, but yeah. even in his first year, we lost the first four games, I think. And then we won 17 in a row, ended up uh, third, third uh, grand final premiership uh, in his fourth or fifth year. So yeah. he, uh, he was just a, a person who could get the best out of players. He could convince, um, as you say, good average players that they on oh. a day were a superstar. And uh, being such a courageous player and, and a great player himself, you just wanted to uh, really perform uh, for him exactly. and his team. So uh, his his record over here is only matched by uh, by a couple. Probably Foss yeah. uh, and uh, Jack Odie would be the only ones that uh, would sort of match the record in any way, shape or form. Now, before we just tidy it up and just say what a great pleasure it's uh, been to speak to Russell Ebert, a legend of the game. Now, of course, uh, your son, Brett, was a magnificent player. And your brother's boy, young Brad, he is playing magnificent footy at the power. You must be very, very impressed. Uh, Bradley idolised Brett when he was coming through, but Brett never saw, uh, saw me play, which I think was a bonus because he just rolled along and you've met Brett. He's, yeah. uh, he loves life. He, he loves fishing, he loves yeah. uh, all that. And he came in uh, at a really good time because I was virtually finished as a player. I just went on and, and coached. And he never really had that, uh, oh, you compared to your uh, your father situation. And Bradley's come through, and Craig and I have finished playing a lot of years ago. And mm. so Bradley's been able to come through uh, as uh, sort of his, his own entity. And Brett was it was fairly similar too. So he didn't really uh, have that uh, pressure that my oldest son did yeah. uh, with uh, being, oh, not as good as this and not as good as that and, yeah. and all that crap that uh, oh, they yeah. go on it, with it, it is. So Yeah, exactly. Now, they um, develop their own, um, their own personality, their own game and their own careers. Before we let you go, I'll just get your overview of each week at the Adelaide Oval. It is just a buzz. I've been there and I tell you what... Uh, as you know, Russell, over the years, I haven't got much hair on the back of my head, but what does uh, stands up? And it's uh, it was just a natural progression to come from Footy Park up to the home of football 
And it's as important, I believe, the Adelaide Oval, Russell Ebert, to Adelaide as the MCG is to Melbourne. It is just a national competition with the greatest electricity you could ever feel. Yeah, so certainly it's uh, it's now an event to go there and uh, we've gone to the MCG for years and listened to the music and the roar and the tradition and the history. But we, we can go to Adelaide Oval and you can go up there or you used to go up there on a quiet day and watch test cricket or you could go to the footy. Now you can go up there and it's an international stadium where events uh, from all over the world will come and put on their, uh, put on their shows and uh, the Crows and the, and the Power, they get to do that every week in front of close to 50,000 screaming fans. Yeah. So it's, uh, they've done a magnificent job. They've retained the Northern End. They've retained the scoreboard. And they've retained the history of the Adelaide Oval. But they've brought it up uh, into uh, to modern <laughs> times. And it's one of the best stadiums in the world. Just magnificent to talk to you. And we do appreciate your time. We see each other from time to time. We... Greet warmly with a handshake and how the kids and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And uh, you've honoured me by being on This Is Your Footy Life today. And uh, uh, without going over the top, you'll take your rightful place when the history of the game is written. And I couldn't uh, think of a better deserving fella. And Russell, thanks for your time today. Thanks very much, Rex. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks for having us on. And keep up the great work. We've got to connect the modern day with the past. And you do it magnificently. Well done. And thanks for having us on. Russell Ebert on This Is Your Footy Life. And if you'd like to hear extended versions of the interview, check out facebook.com forward slash Tobin Brothers Funerals or follow us on Twitter at Rex Footy Life. This has been Footy Life that is just the creme de la creme. And that was the footy life of Russell Ebert.